0: Stand on your feet before this goes off the rails any further. First Thessalonians chapter one. Last week, we talked about the cloud of witnesses that went before us. I want you to know you're going to be a cloud of witnesses for someone else. And we're going to talk about living the pattern today. Living the pattern. First Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says, Paul writes this, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he ch- has chosen you because our gospel came to you sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, we thank you God, that you bless us with your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you empower us. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, your Holy Spirit is enough for us. Pray, Lord, that we'd be able to replicate the pattern, be able to live it out, as has been done before us. Lord, we pray that we'd provide a foundation for those coming after us. Pray that we'd be faithful. So Lord, we pray that when we look into your word today, it would change us, not for a moment, Lord, but for eternity. Thank you for this opportunity we have today. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen, you may be seated. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians about, um, I think a pattern. He, um, He talks about how they received the gospel. And he says, we know how you received it. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Paul had received, there was a moment of ignition in Paul's life. And everybody has that. And, and he, But he talks about it in, in a specific way. He doesn't say, that they just received head knowledge about the gospel. He doesn't say that they just heard the gospel story or somebody came with convincing words and said, this, this logically makes sense for you to believe a guy rose from the dead. It logically makes sense for you to believe a guy rose from the dead. The problem was they were telling a story that wasn't logical. Because anytime you come into a culture and you start saying countercultural stuff, the culture of that, the logic of that culture is based on the culture. Amen? The logic of that culture is based on the culture. So if you take into that culture countercultural logic, it doesn't make sense to anybody. So if you're walking into a pagan culture and you tell them a man named Jesus came straight from God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again, how logical is that ever gonna sound? Yeah, sure. And space aliens evaded last week. But that's, that's what the gospel was up against when it walked into pagan cultures. So Paul is quick to point out that he didn't come, he didn't come to them with just a, a logical argument where it was going to convince a lot of people. He came with power. Now there's a difference because I can argue with you about logic. I can't argue with you about power. Amen. I can argue whether your idea is right or not but if you lift if you if you're super strong and you can bend over and lift something super heavy I can't argue with that So I can't argue about Lazarus there was nobody standing at Lazarus tomb going oh, I don't know if that just happened or not just walked out of it So Paul understands when he ministers to people it's not It's not with just a convincing argument It's with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit Here's why this is so important Because Paul is asking us To follow a pattern of life He's asking us to follow this pattern So I want to If you've been here any length of time You've heard me talk about this before One of my biggest concerns about church Is people having behavior modification Not a a reception of the Holy Spirit so here's how it works. And I've explained this a bunch over the years. Here's how it works. You come into church. This room's pretty full. Everybody's cool in this room, right? Cooler than first service, right? This is like the cool service. Everybody's cool here. So so let's let's look at it like this. Maybe it's the first time you're here today. And, uh, and thank you for coming, by the way. It's great that you're here. But you're going to find out that people here probably cost a little bit less. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And they, um, they might pray over their meals. Hopefully. They may be forgiving. Hopefully. They may not gossip as much as you're used to. Dear God, please, hopefully. Okay. So, what happens is you walk into that scenario and find, all these people are super cool. They're nice. They don't gossip. They're not like my family. They're um, they're forgiving, they're kind, and so here's what happens: we make the mistake of just starting to act like those people, oh. and we make the mistake of just starting to act like those people, and we start we just start falling in line. So we cuss a little less, a little less. We start to maybe gossip a little less. We start to maybe act, forgive people a little quicker, but then comes Walmart. And you get cut off in the parking lot Walmart and the whole thing crashes. The whole thing crashes. Am I right? Because behavior modification is strictly connected to your willpower. Willpower. And Thanksgiving and Christmas is a giant test of willpower, isn't it? We're supposed to be thankful and we're supposed to be celebrating the birth of Christ. But really, snuck is the, stuck in there is a giant test of your willpower. Will I gain 20 pounds at Christmas? Yes. Why? Because I can't stop eating. Jesus came to the earth and I've got to have the chocolate. So it's a giant test of willpower. Black Friday is coming this coming Friday. Like anxiety builds up within me just thinking about standing in line for something I don't even want. I keep being told, yeah, but it's so cheap. I still don't want it. If it was free, I wouldn't stand in line to get it. I heard three amens in there. And they were all men. This is going to test my willpower. When people push up against me, can I still forgive? When people hurt me, can I still forgive? So Paul understands that, that, that everyone's willpower is limited. Everyone's willpower is limited. There's only, there's only so much. With man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why Paul doesn't say, hey, just learn about Jesus. That's why he says, I didn't come to you with just a flowery speech. I came to you with a demonstration of the power of God. Because once you've experienced God's power, now your willpower is not your only source. His power becomes your source. So even when I don't feel like forgiving you, I forgive you. Even when I feel like losing my temper, I don't. You see, now it's come to the end of me, but the beginning of him. When I am weak, he is made strong. So Paul says, you have to receive, but you have to receive a certain way. You can't just receive logic and expect to make it a long time. You can't just receive logic and expect to to leave a legacy. You can't just receive logic. Well, this makes sense to do it this way. Because I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes forgiveness never makes sense. You're like, oh, preacher, you shouldn't have said that. No, 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 no. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes deep down inside, I want you to hurt as bad as it hurts me. But thanks be to God that his grace is enough to overcome all that stuff. Amen. So where my willpower shrinks, his power expands. So Paul's not talking about a cookie cutter pattern that you can live by by sheer will. It's a pattern that we're able to follow only after we've been empowered to do so. The Thessalonians didn't just hear a story to repeat, but experienced the resurrection power of Christ. Paul's not just trying to convince them. He wanted them to be changed by the Holy Spirit. So it's it's like this. I travel a good bit. It's one thing for me to tell you stories of places I've been. It's another thing for me to take you. To smell the smells I've smelled. To eat the things I've eaten. oh, To be the places I've been. I could tell you stories. I could show you pictures. But until you experience it, you're not going to understand the whole thing. Aren't you glad that the gospel is not something you just have to hear somebody else's story about it, but it's an experiential gospel, amen, that you get to experience God for yourself. So Paul says, yeah, you're standing on the legacy of somebody else, but the experience is yours. And so the beautiful, we we just talked, we just sang about it. His presence is. Is here. He's never forsaken us. That's not something I just tell you. That's something you're able to experience. Amen. And when all of us experience it together, then we can, then we can just go like, "Yep." Yeah, mm-hmm. You ever been through something with somebody and you don't even have to talk about it? Something come up, you just go, "Mm-hmm." Remember that? Remember that? Shh, don't remember that? The body of Christ has that opportunity to experience God in a way that people outside of the body of Christ don't even understand. So we have that, that relationship with him and then with each other that we're able to go, hey, man. It wasn't just words. It's hard for me to explain how there's enough grace when I wanted to quit to keep me going. And somebody else goes, oh, yep. I know what you're talking about. It's hard for me to explain how as bad as it was, I could still forgive him. I know what you're talking about. Because I experienced. It's hard for me to explain as bad as I've been. Now, I'm using an analogy there. I've, as bad as I've been, that he could forgive me. I know what you're talking about. Not because it sounds illogical, but because we've had the experience. So Paul said, we have to receive the pattern, not just receive a good talk, not just receive a good experience, but receive the power that comes. He wrote to the Corinthians in his first letter in chapter 2. It says, and when I came to you, brothers, did I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. There it is. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my messages were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, one thing our neighbors don't need anymore is an argument about how real Jesus is. They need a demonstration of about how real he is. If we showed them what forgiveness looked like, they wouldn't need the logic behind it. If we showed them what generosity looked like, if we showed them what patience and long-suffering looked like, if we showed them what love really looked like, would they really need an explanation? It's one thing for me to tell you how blue the sky is. It's another thing for me to walk you out, keep my mouth shut, and just let you look up at it. It's one thing for me to tell you about something. It's another thing for me to just grab you and say, come on, come on, come on. I want you to experience this with me. Experience how real he is. And Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come with a bunch of stories about how good God was. I came with a demonstration. You experienced how good he was. We have to receive that church. Your relationship with God can't just be based on logic. And as logical as I am, to a fault, there's things about God that I've experienced that make no sense whatsoever. Lord, how could you bless me after I've done stuff like that? How could you forgive me? How could you keep blessing? How could you, when I didn't trust you, how could you still stay with me? Doesn't make any sense. But one thing I've learned about God, he's not required to make any sense to you and me. He's just required to be God. So church, he wants us to receive the pattern. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive a demonstration of God's power. Not just the thought of it. This is a transformation that can only happen through Christ. Our behavior changing a result of the power of Christ. So the pattern starts with receiving. The pattern doesn't start with just us trying to will our way into being better people. Waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not going to screw it up today. The pattern starts with you receiving the power from God himself to be able to do that. The power of the Holy Spirit to be able to live a life that is pleasing and good. So you have to receive. Look at your neighbor and say, you better receive some. You better start receiving some. Yeah, maybe don't look at that neighbor, maybe look at another neighbor. So Paul says, we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He says, it didn't just came to you by knowledge, it came to you in the power. And he says this, and I'll be honest with you, when th- when I first read this, this confused me a little bit. Verse six, watch what he says, "And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. I started thinking about, why do we need two? Who am I supposed to follow here? Us, Paul, meaning us, the apostles, people leading, and the Lord. I started thinking about it like this. How how do you drive down the interstate when you're driving? Um, some of you, some of you might drive like this. Nobody here. That's third service. You guys are conscientious. Ten and two, right? I actually don't hold my phone. I've got a little stand for it. Sorry about. Where do you look when you're driving? Do you look at the, how many of you look at the car directly in front of you? How many of you do that? No right or wrong answer here. It's just whether you're going to die or not. Um, how, many of you look, how many of you are looking multiple places when you're driving down the interstate? Anybody here look multiple places? And I'm going to talk about the trees on the side of the road. I'm talking about multiple places. So uh, I had a friend who talked about driving down the interstate. And he said, I'm always looking for an escape route. And I'm like, Really? He's like, when I look down the interstate, I'm always trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of trouble. I'm like, wow, that's anxiety-ridden driving there. But here's how I drive down the interstate. I look at the car in front of me. It's a good idea, right? But then I look, I don't know, 10 or 15 cars down. Because I need to know what's right in front of me, but I also need to know what's way ahead of me. So I got some, op- so I got some options. Now, if if any time I stop looking at the car in front of me, my wife is there to remind me. <laughs> but we also got a car. We got a car that will remind us by slamming on the brakes. Anybody get a new car like that? Yeah, uh, we're thinking about trading it now because I'm like, we were. I thought I was stopping in plenty of time, and the car didn't think so. And we all got whiplash. <laughs> when you're driving down the interstate, you have to look in two places, not just one. So I started thinking about how, how Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about you imitated us and God. Because at first I thought, why would they imitate, if you're going to imitate God, why imitate man? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I started thinking about how I drive down the interstate. i don't only look at the car in front of me, I look at the cars way ahead of me. Here's what I need you to understand Jesus is the example of perfection. Do you understand that? That Jesus was born of a virgin. He was God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. We're getting ready to celebrate his birth in December. Jesus came to the earth, lived a perfect life. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just like us, and never sinned. He never sinned. Lived 33 years, was crucified on the cross, rose again for our sin, and the Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father now, making intercessions for us. It was the perfect example of what a human being Totally God, totally human, on earth. The perfect example. Perfection. Look at your neighbor. It doesn't get any better than that. Tell them, perfection. I know that they think you're perfect. Oh. Jesus is the perfect one. So why does that matter? This is why it matters. Because holiness has not been dumbed down 2,000 years after Jesus. Now, follow me here. The standard is still the same. Okay, some of you may remember Old Testament Ten Commandments. The standard is still the same. When Jesus came, he didn't throw the Ten Commandments away. The Bible said he came to actually fulfill the Ten Commandments. So, the, the rule for holiness didn't change. Jesus came to make a way for us to be holy. Because remember when we talked about Willpower? You can read through the whole Old Testament and find out no one in the Old Testament had enough willpower to be perfect. Matter of fact, you can read through the whole New Testament and find out no one had enough willpower to be perfect. Including you. And me. So what happens is this. Jesus came so that we could be forgiven once and for all. Now watch the fact that he came, didn't change the requirement of holiness. I'll just read it to you. Peter writes about it. Peter writes about it. in First Peter chapter one, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's a new Testament. So Peter is saying the requirement is still holiness. The objective is still holiness. Some of you are like, ooh. The objective is still holiness. Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. He starts talking about all these things that you've heard. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more do you have than others? What more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Verse 48. Now this is Jesus himself saying this to his disciples. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now that doesn't make any sense to me because Jesus already knew they couldn't be perfect. Jesus was saying the objective is still the same. Holiness is still the requirement. Are you following me? Holiness is still the requirement. We don't get out of that. We don't get out of the requirement of being holy. What we are living in is grace. So God knows that we're not perfect. So he sent Jesus to die for us. So when we are not perfect, he forgives us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. All right, everybody with me, but the objective is still perfection. All right, watch this. Jesus did not come so we could be less than what he designed us to be. Paul says it like this. Paul says, should we continue to sin because there's grace now? Should we sin more because we know God will forgive us? Absolutely not. The goal is still the same. Holiness. So if the goal is still the same, Jesus has come to equip us He sent the Holy Spirit to equip us to be able to live up to that goal. Now, you won't be perfect at it, but you should be getting better. Here's the problem with our culture today. We don't set holiness as the standard anymore. Because even in the church, we say things like, it's not that. Oh, come on. You say this. It's not that bad. Right? Don't we say that? Next time you get ready to tell somebody it's not that bad, rephrase it and say it like this. It doesn't have a lot of the devil in it. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure God won't be as disappointed as if you killed somebody. It's not that bad. Do you hear what we're doing? We're rationalizing away holiness. Come on. I'm pointing to me just as soon as I'm pointing. We rationalize away holiness because somewhere along the line, we have neglected to keep it as the goal. We've neglected, Peter said, be holy as I am holy. He wasn't talking about him, he was saying it was already written that Jesus come before Peter and said, listen, the requirement is still the same. He wants you to live out a holy life and he's gonna send the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. So you say, well, what's that got to do with following God and following man? Okay, so here's the deal remember the interstate? So I got the people in front of me. Paul said, you've imitated us and God. I got the people in front of me. Paul, the apostles, all the people in front of me, the people that went before us, my grandparents, my great grandparents, all the people that went before us. I got, I got their legacy, but guess what? They weren't perfect. They were great people, but they weren't perfect. They were amazing people, but guess what? They weren't perfect. So I look at them, but then I also look far ahead to the one who is perfect. Because guess what? No matter how hard you follow me, I'm going to eventually break check you every now and then. Don't you hate people like that? You will hate me sooner or later because I'm not perfect. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He wasn't saying, follow me instead of following Christ. He was saying, holiness is still the objective. Follow me and I'll point you to him. So, the only reason I'm following the person in front of me is they're going the same way I'm going. How do I know where I'm going? Because I'm looking ahead of them. Oh, come on. Church, we need to get this a 100% right because cults start when you stop following ahead and you only start following in front of you. When it's just about who we're following and not the one we're following, it becomes weird and crazy and the church starts to suffer for it. So Paul says, hey, listen, it's fine to imitate us, but you also imitate a God. So he was the perfection. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one we're chasing after. And all we did was come along and try to help point you to him. So here's what I say. I'll follow you as long as you're following him. Amen. When you stop following him, I'm getting on another road. I'm not, this isn't how this is going to go. We're going to him. And thank God he's put people in front of us to help lead us that way. Amen. So he said, You imitate us and God. That's huge. So he said, Be the pattern. The Thessalonians had become imitators of God, the origin of perfection. But they were also following Paul, who was a living pattern. Paul encouraged people to follow him as he followed the example of Christ. But Paul was never advocating that he was the ultimate example but a pattern that would point people to Christ. In our world of likes and follows, we have to be careful that we're pointing people somewhere else, that we're not the end destination. I have to be careful. I have to be careful to make sure my kids know that I'm not the end all. They're old enough now to know that. Can I stop for a second and just talk about that? I learned a little while ago that part of me repeating the pattern to point to Christ was that my kids had to know that I wasn't perfect. Mm, 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 mm. Listen to me. That means I stopped saying I would have never done that when I was your age. Maybe I just didn't have access to it. When no internet, when I was around, I had to stop saying, I would have never done that. I had to stop saying. And what I had to start saying was I need forgiveness just as much as you do. Why don't we go to him together? Because the pattern that I'm living has to point to the perfect one, not to me. And so as a parent, I started realizing the quicker they figure out that I'm not perfect forces them to look past me. Come on the quicker they realize that I'm not the perfect example of any of this. I'm trying to figure it out just like they are. I've just got a little more years on me than they do. So I'm I'm trying to figure it out. They need to understand that I'm trying to figure it out. Because one day they're going to know as adults that I didn't have it all together. And I'd rather them already to have, to have gotten used to the idea that I'm just pointing them to someone else and not disappointed when they find out I'm not perfect. I think they knew that when they were like four. Yeah. So I'm living an example to point them somewhere. We're not the end all, but we're pointing to the one who is. Jesus is the ultimate pattern, but you can live the pattern out to help others see him. Paul wasn't proclaiming that he was a perfect pattern. He was just saying his life was pointing to Christ. Here's what I figured out. I can be a pattern of humility. I can be a pattern of hope, of joy, of forgiveness, a pattern of perseverance, a pattern of generosity. I can be a pattern of these things that points people to Christ. Amen? Just like people that went before us, pointing the way. Paul said, you've imitated us and God. And he was totally fine with it. Last thing he talks about here. Verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols and served the one living in true God and to wait for the son from heaven whom he had raised from the dead. Here's the part that I want you to look at. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we, the apostles, need not say anything. You see what just happened there? Paul had went to Thessalonica, and the people had received not just logic, but received power from the Holy Spirit and experience a demonstration of power. They received it. Then Paul says they started to imitate not just people, but God. They put God first as a main example. And then they watched Paul live it out. Then the gospel went where Paul wasn't. Did you see how that worked? Paul goes to Thessalonia, demonstrate God's power. The people there receive God's power to change their lives. They start walking this out on a on a day by day by day basis, using Paul and the apostles as an example to imitate and setting God up as the ultimate destiny. And the result of that was that the pattern reproduced, where Paul wasn't. He said, we didn't even have to go talk to those people, but because of your faith, people received the gospel that we never even talked to. So watch this. I've been here almost a quarter of a century at this church. And, um, I know that because my wife and I are getting ready to celebrate 25 years of marriage next year. Psh. It's like flew flu Bible it's easy. I married the right one, the first one. Watch this. Any of you come from the wrong place? Let me just ask you that. Anybody come from the wrong place? Anybody have the wrong upbringing? Come on, you know what I mean. Compared to everybody else successful. Just like I grew up in the country. I didn't realize that we've been here so long, I stopped thinking about this place as country. Anybody else see that? I thought, man, we got our own Martins. We got like three banks, two stoplights, housing developments. I thought, we're like the suburbs. And then every now and then somebody from the suburbs comes out to remind me they were so far out. People, people from another state, like Maryland. We had some people from Maryland up here a couple months ago, and they were like, we didn't realize there was anything like this out here. And I'm like, yeah, we've got electricity. It's crazy. We even have the internet. They turned it on last week for us. There's a whole world we didn't know. I just thought, I just forgot we were out here. But people kept reminding me we're out here. Man, you guys are so far out. So far out. Like way out there in the country. And then some of you from Berkeley Springs, woo. It's like space aliens just land and pick the most deserted spot on the planet. You get it too. You're so far out that I started to be, I started to reduce the vision of what God was capable of doing because we weren't in the right place. Come on, some of you weren't raised in the right family. So you start to dial it back a little bit. Some of you had the Didn't have enough money growing up, so you start dialing it back a little bit. Some of you aren't from the right town. Some of you don't have the right history. Some of you messed up your teenage years. So you start to dial it back a little bit, what God's capable of doing in your life. And you just don't think you're gonna amount to a whole lot. You don't think a lot of things are gonna happen and you know how come on. Anybody else just start dialing it back like, well, that's the way I grew up. I don't know anything. We grew up out here in the country and and we're just a little church out in the country, and we don't, you know, you're so so far out. And then I read that some people in Thessalonia who Paul said, received the word with great difficulty. They didn't have the perfect scenario for the gospel to go forward for them, because they received in trouble. But when they repeated the pattern, the pattern reproduced no matter where they were to receive it. Come on, did you hear that? God is less concerned from where you came from than the pattern you're repeating now. God's less concerned about your geographical location than he is about you repeating the pattern of holiness and grace. God's less concerned about, about you weren't raised in the right town or raised with the right people or, or, you, or you messed up the first 20 years of your life. He's less concerned with that and more concerned with are you repeating the pattern now because if you'll be faithful through his power to repeat the pattern, then people you don't know will receive as well. So I started changing the way I thought about church. And I started saying, it's just like God to use a church out there who's willing to repeat the pattern to reach people that we don't know. If he could do it in Thessalonia with people who received with great distress the gospel but received it in power and decided we're going to repeat this pattern by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said now there's people I don't even have to go and talk to because you lived it out. And so here's what I realized. There was people 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago who said we don't care if we're in Back Creek Valley where we got to walk across boards on Sunday because the church flooded and we got an outhouse for a toilet. We're just going to repeat the pattern. Just going to repeat the pattern. So when somebody says, man, you guys are out here. People out here repeat the pattern. Don't matter where you came from. Don't matter what you've been through. Oh, you're away. Mm, Is there something like that in Hedgesville? Yep, we're out here repeating the pattern. So guess what? People that don't even know where Hedgesville is will receive the power of the Holy Spirit with demonstration of power. So here's the beautiful thing. There have been people in Kenya, in Ghana, all over Central America, in Europe, all over the world who've received the gospel with a demonstration of power because a bunch of country folk in Hedgesville, West Virginia decided to repeat the pattern. Amen. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. The band's going to come up here. Here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that people before us out, out here decided to repeat the pattern. But you know what I'm also thankful for right now? Is that you're doing the same thing. Is that you're doing the same thing. A couple of months ago, I had lunch with a guy who was trying to decide what to do with some things. And he said, talking about leaving a legacy of the gospel after he was gone. And I just looked at him. I said, anytime you can perpetuate the gospel beyond your, beyond your life is an amazing thing to be able to do. I said, that's what Beth and I want to do. We want the gospel to keep going beyond us. Past me, breathing my last breath. I want the God, I, I want to live a life and, and handle my stuff in a way that perpetuates the gospel past me breathing. Paul saying, do that. Paul saying, if you will repeat the pattern on the days you have here on the earth, no matter where you came from, no matter what you've been through, if you will receive and repeat the pattern. That people you'll never meet will find Jesus. People you will never meet will know the demonstration of God's power. People you will never run across until you enter the pearly gates. I'm praying that every person in here, when you get to the pearly gates, there'll be people running up to you and go, hey man, you don't even know who I am. But because you repeated the pattern, I'm here today. Paul said, we didn't even have to go talk to him. You just kept living it out, living it out, living it out, living it out. So I don't care how far out you live, live it out. I don't care how you were raised, live it out. I don't care if you came from the right place at the right time, just keep living it out. And what happens when you receive the pattern, you repeat the pattern, the pattern always reproduces. Always. So you know what? You know what I tell people now? Why don't you come on out here and find out how people do it? Paul said, follow God and us. I said, if you want to see how it's done, come on out here. These people repeat the pattern. The gospel is being promoted because of it. Father, I pray that if anyone has a doubt about what you've called them to this morning, that you give them a demonstration of your power to confirm in them that you've called them, that you've saved them, that you've redeemed them, that you paid the ultimate price for their their eternity. Lord, I pray that you call all of us to live that life right now. Make a commitment to repeat the pattern set before us. What holiness looks like, of what forgiveness looks like, of what grace looks like. Lord, and I pray as we do collectively as a church, Lord that, Lord, this would leave a legacy that people far and wide would know you. Long after we're gone, God, I pray that the gospel would continue to go forward because these people lived it out. We thank you for the opportunity to create a legacy here, Lord, and we look forward to it. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, if that sounds like a good idea, give him praise this morning. He's worthy of it, amen? Hey, listen, encourage somebody. Live it out this week and watch it reproduce.